Well, let me just pass on my greetings uh, from Holy Trinity Raleigh as I begin this morning. Uh, they do say their hellos. Uh, my wife also told me something really interesting in between the services, something that she's never told me before. Uh, she told me that uh, I was a little bit quiet. So hopefully you can hear me. She said she wanted to put the volume up. She's never said that before. It's always gone the other way. Let me pray for us as we open up God's word in anticipation of him speaking to us today. Gracious Lord, you have caused all holy scripture to be written for our learning. Help us so to hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that encouraged and supported by your holy word, we may embrace and always hold fast the joyful hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus was the first to rise from the dead. In Acts 26, speaking with King Agrippa, uh, Paul spoke of his own conversion with these words. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. And when Jesus returns to this world, he will raise his servants to a resurrection life like his own. In fact, we're told that he will raise the whole human race. Those who are not his through faith will be raised for judgment, for it is appointed for man to die once and after that to face judgment. Christians alive at this coming will at that instant undergo a marvelous transformation while Christians who had died will experience a glorious re-embodiment. Now, apart from whatever else was going on in the mind of the Corinthians, which was a lot, their uncertainty, uh, their doubt, it seems that above all else, they had this problem. They just could not imagine how the resurrection of their bodies could happen. And it is likely that that is our problem as well. And so in verse 35, uh, someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And what I want you to know this morning is that it is a body to die for. As you, as you think about the resurrection bodies, you might start to ask, how? Uh, what if you were cremated? How is that going to work? What if you were blown up into lots of little bits? Is God going to gather up all the atoms and reform them? Uh, what if he misses one? How will it happen? It just seems so inconceivable. And so I think it is that sort of problem that we still have. We might talk about the resurrection of the dead. We might say that we believe or at least think that our body will be raised and no sooner have the words left our mouths than we begin to feel a little embarrassed that we said that sort of thing. And you hope that no one follows up with a question because you can't conceive how it is that that will take place, let alone explain it to someone else. And so it is like the Corinthians, we have a similar problem, but how are the dead raised and with what kind of body do they come? I wonder if that's your question. Part of the problem that we have is that we're imagining something that is unimaginable. We're trying to imagine how corpses could be reanimated or revivified. How could it happen is what we're asking. 
And in verse 36, Paul comments on their questions. You should have your Bibles there in front of you. I want you to look down. Paul comments on their question and perhaps ours. You foolish person, verse 36. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Uh, Now, our English translation is a lot more gracious than Paul was. Paul was quite direct. Uh, Paul's answer is something much closer to, you stupid person. It's a stupid and a foolish question that you've asked. I don't know if you've noticed over the last 10 or 15 years, every time someone asks a question, the first thing that comes out of the person to whom they're asking the question is, now that's a very good question. Or, that's a great question and I'm glad you asked it. In the last 15 years, no one's asked a dumb or stupid question. They're just all good or great. (laughs) Well, ask the Bible a stupid question and the Bible will generally tell you that it is a stupid question. (laughs) What is it that makes this a stupid question? Because it's, and I say that mindful that it's a question that we're asking. How could it happen? What makes it stupid is the, the ignorance the foolishness with which it brings. It's a question that reveals that we don't understand. And so Paul is going to help us to see our ignorance and see why that is so. He starts by giving us an analogy in verse 36. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. He's using the word body here to refer to a tree or a plant and their body. And just to tie it in with that analogy that he's making, he goes on in verse 38, that God gives it the body that God has chosen and each kind of seed has its own body as God has ordered it. Now your problem and mine is that we've never seen a dead body raised to life by God. Uh, Some people in history have. Some people saw Jesus, but we have not. And so you cannot imagine how it would be, and you certainly cannot imagine how it would be for all people who have ever lived. Where would they all fit? The problem is that just because we can't imagine something like this doesn't mean that it would be logical or rational or reasonable to think that it could not happen. Uh, Paul says, suppose just for a moment, and I'm going to need you to use your imaginations here this morning. Uh, Suppose uh, just for a moment that you had never seen a tree or a plant. I know you're really going to have to let your imaginations run wild here. But just imagine for a moment that you'd never seen a tree or a plant. And now you are given a seed and told to put it into the ground and then told that this gigantic oak tree or maple tree, or I didn't do enough Googling to work out what trees you have around here, but this gigantic tree was going to sprout out. If you've got a window seat, just look outside of those trees. If you've got access to them, this little seed is going to become that gigantic tree. Uh, Wouldn't you find it hard to imagine how that little seed could become that tree? And if someone had come along and told you that this would be the case, wouldn't you find it difficult to believe them? Would you have been right, though, to conclude that just because you can't conceive how it could happen, it did not happen? Of course not, because it can happen, and it has happened, and it will continue to happen. And this is the sort of argument that Paul runs through here, that there will be continuity between the mortal and the immortal, 
like the relationship between a seed and a plant that grows out of it. A kind of continuity that allows for great differences between the starting point and the end product. So it is that God actually gives the seed its own body, in due course the body of the tree or the plant that has grown. And that's just one little analogy that we might begin to see our foolishness and ignorance or stupidity for when we cannot understand how something could happen, we decide to believe therefore that it cannot or could not happen. Paul then goes on and gives a second analogy, the analogy of bodies, verse 39. For not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There's one glory for the sun and another glory for the moon and another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star in glory." When he talks about heavenly bodies here, he's using uh, the sense of uh, those bodies in the sky, like the sun and the moon and the stars. And he's saying that the world that you know of, God's creation, is full of splendor. And there are so many different kinds of bodies. I'm mindful in the DC metro, it's a lot, you see the sun and the moon, maybe not so easy to see the stars, but I promise you that they're out there. Uh, this is what Paul is getting at. There are moon, there, there is the moon, the sun, the sky. There are birds, there are fish, plants, trees. There are people. There are so many different kinds of bodies. Do you think that God is limited to the kinds of bodies that we know about? If God could create the octopus and the armadillo, surely there must be another body that we cannot conceive of, a body that we have never seen. Surely God has the power and it is within his right to have another body. When we know about so many, it would be stupid to think that God is limited by what we know about. So once again, just because you cannot understand how it will happen, it really is a ridiculous conclusion to arrive that it could not happen. And so he applies this to the resurrection of the body in verse 42. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You are wrong to think, you are wrong if you think that what we are talking about here are just people's corpses being reanimated or revivified. Do not think the walking dead or World War Z or any other zombie apocalypse movie that I know that you love so much that you won't admit to watching. That's not what we're talking about here. These are not corpses just being uh, made alive to breathe and live and move around in these old perishing bodies. The body that we're talking about when we speak of the resurrection is the same body, but it is different. The body that is sown, that is the one that you are wearing at the moment, your body, you, that is what we're talking about and it is perishable. And we don't have to, this congregation is slightly harder to do it in because you're a little bit younger. But if we just take a moment and look around the room, we realize that our bodies are perishing. The hair color is changing. In a number of cases, it's reducing in density. (laughs) Rather dramatically. 
as you contemplate your body for a moment, which might not be that enjoyable of a prospect for you, uh, maybe you discovered that there's not as much roofing as you'd like to have, and some of it blew away in the storm yesterday. Perhaps it's a little worn. Perhaps there's a little too much insulation. Perhaps the walls have begun to bulge in one or two places. Maybe you wish that you were more of a high-rise than a townhouse. Perhaps you would be advertised by the estate agent as in need of some tender, loving care. Maybe the surveyor would insist that uh, some foundational structural work is required. Your body might not have an expiry date, but it is clearly evident that it has a shelf life. It does not take many years for us to figure out that we are walking around in a perishable body. It gets sick. It aches, it pains, it is a body that will not last, but the body that will be raised will be imperishable with no more pain, no more sickness, and no more death. You Corinthians, how stupid you are, just learn a lesson from the created order. The body that will die is a body that is a, of dishonor about it. Now, I'm not entirely sure what Paul was getting about there, but I think that there are many reasons why we might be ashamed of our bodies. Perhaps we think that we are ugly or that our body is not all that we want it to be. But I can tell you that when God raises your body, it will be glorious. It will be a glorious body and it won't be a, a, a body as we even understand it to be right now because our bodies are, are caught up with our minds in the way we think. When we are given this body, our thinking, our minds will be straightened out as well. We won't have the sort of vanity that we're full of now. It won't be a body that you are ashamed of in any respect whatsoever. The body that we're in now is weak. Even the most powerful among us recognize our weakness and that we cannot do all that we would like to do, but the body that will be raised will be powerful. The body that we have now is natural. It belongs to this order of things. The body that will be raised will be a spiritual body. That is to say that it will belong to the new existence of the age to come. It will be a body that is suited to that realm and it will belong to the eternal, imperishable, immortal, heavenly order of things. And so there is the first demonstration that the question is a foolish, ignorant, and stupid question. Not that he's wanting to put us down or make us feel small, but he wants us to see that simply because you cannot understand how something could happen, it would be wrong to draw the conclusion that it cannot happen. And it comes out of a mind that is ignorant of God. It comes out of a mind that really ought to be ashamed of being ignorant of God. And that's what he says in just a little bit before it in the passage that comes before the one that we're looking at this morning. Uh, friends, we ought to be ashamed if we are ignorant of God. We need to recognize that God made us. God made the world that we inhabit. God made himself known to us and continues to do that through his word, the Bible. Don't allow your thinking to be dominated by ignorance of God. And when you draw the conclusion from ignorance of how something could happen to that it could not happen, you are displaying an ignorance of God himself. But the Corinthians, I think, will reply, but why, Paul? Why is it necessary for you to keep on talking about God raising our bodies? 
I mean, our spiritual experience and our spiritual existence is quite enough. We'd be happy to leave our bodies behind. I mean, we go to the Falls Church Anglican and our congregational singing is amazing. And that's enough of an experience to have with God's people. Why a physically resurrected body? Uh, We reckon that we have already tasted uh, this heavenly experience. Do you really have to keep on harping on about this bodily existence that we're going to have? You keep telling us that we're going to have that we don't understand. And Paul goes on and explains this in verse 44. If there's a natural body, then there is a spiritual body. He, He draws this together by talking about Adam and talking about Christ. That is to say that if there is a natural body for this existence here on earth, then there is a body for this spiritual existence for the age to come. Thus it is written, quoting from Genesis 2, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first man, Adam, was made by God and you and I are like him. And you have a body like him, a natural, weak, and perishable body. But the last Adam, Jesus Christ, he gives us new life. And he gives us new life by his resurrection from the dead. So that like him, you will have a body that is spiritual, powerful, glorious, and imperishable. As Jesus' single-minded love and humility are the model to which God is conforming our regenerate characters... So his glorified body is the model for the remaking of our bodies. The bodies that Christians have now are at best poor tools for expressing the desires and the purposes of hearts that have been regenerated and transformed and are becoming like Jesus Christ. They're poor tools. The bodies that become ours on the last day will be bodies that perfectly match our perfected, regenerate characters and will prove perfect instruments for our holy self-expression throughout eternity. So in many ways, Paul takes us back to the beginning to help us to understand uh, that things at the end will be like that, only so much better. If you are in on what Jesus Christ is doing, then just like now you are of Adam, so then you will be of Jesus. Look at verse 46. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. You must understand that now you are caught up in the existence that is natural. Uh, That is like Adam. You still have your natural body. You cannot have a natural body and a spiritual body at the same time. What we're talking about here is something that lies in the future. What we're talking about here is a point of order. First this, and then that. You see, Jesus never had both at the same time. Jesus never had a natural body and a resurrected body. He had his natural body. And then after his death and resurrection, he had this other kind of body. The natural comes first, and then the spiritual. And we need to see our link with Adam and our link with Christ. Look down at verse 47. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven." We need to underline again that the resurrection of Jesus is not just the miracle that proves Christianity is true. It is so much more. 
Uh, The miracle of the resurrection is in fact the beginning of God's new creation. But we must get this in the right order if it is going to be the comfort and the encouragement that we need it to be. We are looking forward to a heavenly body like Jesus' heavenly body. And I want you to see that I'm not just making this up from 1 Corinthians 15. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul writes, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. In 1 John 3, we read, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, sinless, perfect, glorious. Or Romans 8, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is the point of order that we shall have that heavenly body, but we don't have it yet. And friends, can I say that if you have difficulty believing in this resurrection of the dead, in the resurrection of your own body, then go back again and have a look at 1 Corinthians 15. Go back again and and read through this whole chapter, maybe do it over lunch today, and recognize that Jesus is the promised first fruit, that he is the first apple on the tree that proves that all the other apples are on their way. Jesus' resurrection body not only assures, but promises that our resurrection body is coming too. Now, of course, the how. Uh, We're now left with asking, okay, how does it happen? And what I need to tell you is that verse 51 reveals to us that it is in fact a mystery. Of course, it's a mystery. It's a mystery because we've never experienced anything like it before. How could we possibly imagine or conceive of it? Uh, But as Paul makes clear in verse 50 of this chapter, I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. You You cannot have a perishing body having eternal life. It is a contradiction in terms. The new creation is different from the old creation and our existence then will be different from our existence now. Paul doesn't know exactly how it will happen. He does the best job that he possibly can to explain it to our finite minds in verses 51 to 57. And I was hoping to be able to tell you to come back next week and that Sam would explain it all to you. But he's not going to, so you're gonna have to ask him to do a one-off on those eight verses. But friends, what we are left with is that this is what Christianity is finally about. God has placed eternity into the hearts of men and women. That is what we long for. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We say that almost every week. That is what we are about. That is what Christianity is finally about. Not in any trivial sense, because here we are talking about the work of God in dealing with sin. Now, maybe you got into Christianity because you knew that you needed your sin to be dealt with, but you didn't quite understand all the implications that having your sin dealt with would mean. For you see, if sin is dealt with, if the breach between humans and God is dealt with, then it cannot stop there. And it will not stop there. It means that death will be dealt with and your death and my death will be dealt with and that they will not be the end because the results of the defeat 
of death must be life. And so glorification, that's your theological word for this morning, is the completion of the work that began at regeneration, whereby through God's transforming power, God finally turns us into sinless creatures with deathless bodies. So, do you believe in the resurrection of the body? Because that is what God is going to do. And to make it particularly direct, do you believe in the resurrection of your own body? You might ask, why is it important? Why does it matter? Why can't believing in eternal life and the forgiveness of sins be enough? Well, look with me at the very last verse of chapter 15, verse 58. I think that this is the controlling verse of everything that Paul has said about the resurrection in chapter 15. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. When we understand something of the glory that lies ahead, when we understand that the terrible experience of death has actually been overcome, that it is not the end, when you know that, then you can stand firm. For we are weak and wobbly as Christians, aren't we? And almost anything seems to be able to push us over. We are prone to wander. And I think that that is the case when we lose sight of what it is that we are involved in. We are involved in eternity. We are involved in what God is doing and it will not end and not even death will stop it. And if you understand that you are in on that, then can't you stand firm? Can't you allow nothing to move you? And what will you give your life towards? What the Lord is doing and what the Lord is doing is calling people into his wonder. Uh, The resurrection of the body and giving ourselves fully to the work of the Lord is bound up in the present. This is not meant to incite fear. It is meant to draw you into comfort and encouragement. For it calls us in the present to holiness and hard work, to godliness and gospel ministry calling people to understand who Jesus is and what he has done, calling people to understand how Jesus has dealt with our sin and by dealing with our sin and dying and then rising from the dead, he is the one who is giving life to people and this life will go on forever, this life that will result from you being raised from the dead so that one day we will share in Christ's heavenly body but until then we live in these perishable weak bodies We can't celebrate just yet. We give ourselves to remaining steadfast and movable and the work of the Lord. And so I wonder, friends, if you realize just how big it is, the thing that Jesus actually did is. It would be very strange for our minds not to have all sorts of questions. And those questions, many of them will only be answered on the last day when this actually happens to us, when this perishable seed becomes that mighty tree as God raises it. But Jesus has opened up a whole new order for humanity with no more sin and no more suffering and no more death, no more decay. The Corinthians had such a small view of Jesus and it was their ignorance that Paul was challenging when he called them foolish or stupid. They could not see that the glorious future that awaited them was rational and reasonable as seen in the created order, that it is certain as they look at Jesus and that it will be glorious. 
And friends, I hope that this morning this will be a great comfort to you and a deep encouragement. Some of us will have watched a loved one grow old and deteriorate. Christians will meet their loved ones who have died in Christ in the new creation of Jesus with whole new bodies. Some of us will have lost a little one, perhaps even before he or she had time to be born or to grow up. Christians will meet their little ones in the new creation of Jesus Christ with the heavenly body that they were always meant to have. Some of us will have done things to our bodies or have had things done to our bodies that means that we carry around physical or mental or emotional scars. On that day, Christians will have whole new bodies in the new creation, heavenly, perfected, glorious, without scar or blemish, imperishable. I hope that you find that encouraging. I also hope that you find it challenging because the whole section reminds us that we're not there yet, that just because we can't understand how it could happen doesn't mean that it won't. But because this is the reality and that Jesus has defeated death, I can give myself fully to the work of gospel ministry, knowing that it is never in vain, which means that I can work over a very long period of time to share the gospel with one person that the Lord has brought into my life. And so do not become weary, false church Anglican, in gospel work and godliness for your resurrection awaits. Now, I just wanna say one final word and that is to anyone who hears these things and recognizes that you are not actually involved in what we're talking about here. You've come this morning to this gathering and you are amongst a group of people who are hearing words about being raised from the dead and you say to yourself either, what is that all about or what is it that I've walked into? Well, if you are a person who has not yet come to Jesus Christ, who if you have not yet put your trust in him, not accepted him as your savior, I want to suggest that apart from anything else, you certainly are missing out on a great deal. Because this promise is to those who have Jesus as their own savior and Lord. And if you've not yet come to him and accepted him as your savior and Lord, repenting of your sins and putting your faith and trust in him, can I encourage you to think about doing something about that? To get that one piece of your life sorted out, not to delay. Because there is life after death. And after death comes judgments. And therefore, each one of us is in desperate need of a savior. And so today, if the Lord is speaking to you, do not harden your hearts. Open it up to him, to this gospel of grace. Let me invite you to pray with me together and just take a moment to be quiet in your own hearts and to speak to the Lord what you need to speak to him. Heavenly Father, help us to see the wonder of what you have done in raising Jesus from the dead. The first fruits, the first apple on the tree that tells us that all the apples are coming. We thank you for the certainty that you will raise us who belong to him. And we pray now, Lord, for any who might not yet belong to you. We ask, Lord, that you would make yourself known to us. Give us understanding of these mysteries and draw us to yourself. Make us immovable steadfast, standing firm, and always abounding in the work of the Lord, 
in the full knowledge and promise that the work of the Lord is never done in vain. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.